Hello and welcome to This Week at the Movies. I'm Matt. I'm Eric. And we are spending this Labor Day weekend looking at the best of summer. It feels like uh, on Labor Day weekend, which is the unofficial end of summer, just like Memorial Day is the official start of summer, Mm -hmm. there's no better time to look back at the blockbusters that cooled and warmed our hearts uh, throughout the summer months. But before we get into that, we would be remiss if we didn't pay homage to the original summer blockbuster, Steven Spielberg's Jaws, which uh, first debuted in 1975, but is back in theaters this weekend. I actually had a chance to see it on Thursday in IMAX and 3D. I'm so excited uh, to hear about was, that incredible i felt like i was in the water Mm. (laughs) it was great but eric what do you what do you love about jaws so you know the the first time i saw jaws i was just barely i think old enough to kind of be into it um it was like a movie where i i think i was like nine or ten years old and my dad is like you haven't seen jaws i was like yeah he's like oh well here you go and like not a hundred percent sure, you know. I, I believe it's rated. Uh, I think it's PG. PG. Yeah. It is. It this predates is... PG thirteen, and they probably were like, "We don't want to make it R." Right, and and it. I mean, it just it's funny because it has this reputation for crossing the line between a horror movie and an action adventure movie, and it's just so much fun, like. Even the the quiet moments are like engrossing. I I, I love Jaws. Like all the way to th- th- this is amazing special feature that I think sums everything up. Shooting a helium tank would not make it explode, but the author of the book it was based on sat in a theater and was like, "This is ridiculous." Until he realized the audience had been so won over by Steven Spielberg's direction, by the groundwork they had laid, by the way the story built to that moment. He says he likes it better than the ending of the book. Like, it's... I was going to ask you, have you ever read the book? I haven't, no. Uh, You know, Steven Spielberg has kind of a a reputation. He's done this with a few of the things he's adapted. Um, Steven Spielberg doesn't like to be incredibly dark. Um, with his movies, even movies like this that have some some darker moments, you have these lighter moments, uh, you know, Chief Brody and his son mirroring each other. You have this kind of buddy comedy ending. That is mm-hmm. not the case with the book. In, in the book, and you know what? If you haven't read the book yet, it's been out for almost 50 years. Hooper and Chief Brody's wife have an affair. Hooper gets eaten. It's like, it's not a incredibly happy story or an incredibly happy ending uh i still i enjoyed the book but having seen the movie it was kind of like if you've uh, if you've ever seen jurassic park and read the book you're like these are not exactly the same kind of you know you're not on a helicopter with sweeping john williams score looking, right. looking out at some birds but it is just it's an incredible i don't I was gonna ask you this is one of the rare movies for me it's it's an all-time top 10 uh, this of course will again ruin whatever's coming blog i've seen it so many times it is i watch it once a year on fourth of july because i think it's the quintessential fourth of july because you know mayor vaughn is lining up to be a hot lunch which is <laughs> probably the best line of the film but 
they it is one of those movies that I've bought time and again in different formats every time it comes out. When they did the 25th anniversary, I remember this was back. I'm pretty sure I still I had to get it on VHS still at the time that it came out on anniversary because that would have been right around 2000. I might have I have it on DVD too. I have it on Blu-ray. I have it on like special edition Blu-ray. I have it on digital. They have this documentary about the making of the film, and that made me love it even more. I don't know if you've seen that documentary, but almost everything Steven Spielberg wanted to do went wrong. Like yeah. these things that are iconic now, like you don't see the shark. That wasn't the intention. They couldn't get the shark to work. They were mm -hmm. bumping up against a writer's strike. The guy that plays the uh, editor of the newspaper is actually the screenwriter because they gave him a part in the movie because they needed him on set writing pages as they were going along. And a lot of stuff is ad lib. Like Quint's speech about the Indianapolis has some historical facts. That's because that was what Robert Shaw came up with to add to that scene. A lot of the iconic lines were improvised like that i need a bigger we're gonna need a bigger boat mm -hmm. i was just roy scheider doing his thing and all these things kind of came together and fused into this iconic classic yeah it's steven spielberg it, it like you know they have the uh tour theory and in french film and whatnot that comes out of it and i just think he in especially to do this and to have it come out and end up be the start of, of blockbusters, the reason we're talking about what we're talking about today. He has such an eye for directing crowds, directing whole environments. I mean, like this in Close Encounters of a Third Kind, I think, are some of the strongest, like, directing a town to show the impact on a larger scale of big monumental events. And that's it. It's, this starts with just like something that's the start of a horror movie. You know, it's it's a the beginning of what could be a slasher type story. And I think a lot of behind the scenes of that they talk about the producers not being sure about it because it feels like oh a horror movie and it's being given the attention that a horror movie would get in production. And they didn't quite understand. I don't think what it was until it came out and changed cinema, changed movies forever. So. Yeah, it's it's huge. So Jaws famously spawned three sequels. Of those <laughs> One three, three sequels, which would be your second favorite? Oh, uh, I'd have to watch them in order for that to <laughs> be something I could answer. I've never even felt the appeal. Like uh, the second one, you know, I've watched many videos about them. I know anecdotes and things like that. Uh, because I've always been curious about it because any sort of franchise that has that legacy of sequels that trailed off, I, you know, I'm curious about it. But I think this and Candyman are two movies that I've just been so struck by it. And I like that story that I don't want to associate something else with the next step with what happened after, you know? And so there's just something, I don't know. Jaws 2 is almost feels like a ripoff of the okay. of the first one like it's still set on amity uh, and even though all these events happened in the first one vaughn is still the mayor which leads no. there's, a meme, there's a meme that you have to, to to look up that came out a few years ago of a guy at a red sox game that says remember the mayor from jaws is still the mayor in jaws Two. local <laughs> elections matter <laughs> So, but they, no one believes Chief Brody. They're like, no, no shark would ever attack the island. I'm like, literally, were you not there two years ago when when all this happened? 
Jaws 3, I actually like. I would put it mm-hmm. in top five shark movies. It said it, uh, they never explicitly say it's SeaWorld, but right. it's it definitely SeaWorld. Dennis Quaid is in it. He plays Brody's son. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Leah Thompson's in it. Louis Gossett Jr. is in it. It was originally in 3D. It was in the early 80s, um, 1983. It's better than people want to give it credit for. You can skip Jaws the Revenge. The most notable thing about Jaws the Revenge is that Michael Caine missed accepting his Academy Award because he was filming Jaws the Revenge. (laughs) Which feels terrible. Oh, it doesn't just feel terrible. Well, that's a a summer movie uh, classic from the past. But each of us picked out a couple of movies that we've enjoyed uh, this summer. And um, we're going to go through those now. uh, And each of us will take the lead on the one that we picked. uh, And we'll each give thoughts. Eric's going to lead it off. His first movie uh, that he picked was The Batman, which I know you're going to say came out March 4th. But you know what? It came out on VOD this summer. Oh, oh, so it does still technically count. I'm never sure. You know, you always have these movies that come out in March or April and people try and claim them as the first summer blockbuster of the year or something like weird tag when they can't come up with like the best or something like that. And you know what? I think the Batman is still my favorite summer blockbuster of the year. Um, and it's it's bizarre because I actually had a lot of reservations about the Batman. I wasn't sure about double dipping into the grounded, gritty, cut off some of the world's functionality because it's so grounded in reality idea of Batman. It's like, I'm ready for another Batman where you can have Clayface, you know? Like, fingers crossed that they do a gritty Mr. Freeze for the next one. But here's the deal. That movie was three hours and it, 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 it does not feel its length. It flies by. And it flies by because they are so, it's so story-driven, clue-driven, plot-driven that it, it, it just never stops. I mean, there's some familiar things in there, but the most unique thing about it is that it justifies its title, The Batman, by being a story about the Batman, why someone would want to be the Batman, Batman being on screen. And it almost feels like the first time where the unique take on the character is that building Bruce Wayne is going to have to be how he proves himself to be a hero. And that is to to walk into like the 800th adaptation of Batman and have it come out as something striking that I had not thought of. Like, I was blown away. So, you know, that's, I, I just absolutely loved that the, this interesting process started this last year with Dune. They shot this, I believe, digitally, printed it onto film, scanned the film digitally. And even when you watch the 4K, it hovers and jitters, like frames are passing. And it has this cinematic feel to it. I strongly recommend uh, getting a physical copy of this if you can. Um, it's just, it's so much fun in how dark it is. Like Paul Dano's amazing. Um, Jeffrey Wright is amazing. Uh, I think Zoe Kravitz killed it. And, uh, Robert Pattinson absolutely owned his own stamp on the role. So, so what is your score out of my thumbs? I, I'm going to give it a full two thumbs up. I, I don't like to do that like right out of the gate 
you know, with movies we're talking well, it about. It is the best of summer, so I it's would assume kinda, that yeah. the two that you picked, you're probably going. I mean, I you could argue that if the, the next Batman is a, more efficient with its time and editing, it's like, well, if I give that two thumbs up, is this one, like, where am I at? But I'm giving it a full two thumbs up. I was like you. I was incredibly uh, skeptical. Um, I believe I openly mocked Batman casting several times on Twitter. <laughs> I told Ricky if I gave it anything more than two stars, you would know that you know I, my body had been taken over by aliens. And like about 45 minutes into it, I thought this is going to be my undoing on social media. <laughs> because it, I do love the meme. I don't know if you've seen it. Dr. Manhattan sitting out there and the year is 1989 and I'm, I'm 25 years old. I'm looking forward to seeing a darker, grittier Batman. The year is 2008. I am 35 years old. I am looking forward to seeing a darker, grittier Batman. The year is 2022. I'm 50 years, you know, something like that. I'm looking right. for it. It is darker and grittier, but it, it does earn it. I really loved Paul Dano. Um, it feels more like seven uh, than than Batman, nineteen eighty nine Batman. Um, you know, it he manages to distinguish itself from the Nolan trilogy, from the Tim Burton films. I actually thought with the opening and some of what they did with uh, Robert Pattinson kind of journaling, it felt very much like a Watchmen style approach and. You know, if anyone who follows me, they know I have a soft spot for a watchman. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up liking it quite a bit more than I expected. It's still sitting up there in my top 10. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Um, a one thumbs up? One thumbs up. All right. I gave it uh, that That would probably more closely aligned to, uh, to the way I did star scoring. But um, it's still... I'd be curious for you of all the Batman films, I still have it um, as my fourth favorite Batman film for right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. you know, I'm still Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Batman 89. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I hopefully with the people that know me uh, know by now that I'm not a huge fan of, of ranking things. I, you know, to me, it feels very odd to think of like, you know, Adam West's Batman versus this Batman, the idea that one could surpass the other with comparable qualities. And I know there's a much closer comparison to me. Like, I think you could, you could argue the merits of this as a story about Batman between the dark Knight and this story, because both of them are about the functionality of Batman and the risks of other people looking to Batman as a symbol that inspires them. But I I just it just doesn't click with me the 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 connection of like putting one on top of another you know and it's really hard because I think that's a big barrier to me in a social like community with the online community is like if I if I could just do it if you spent more time in uh, fantasy football you yeah 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 you'd, have, you'd be used to just having that's to rank everything every thought <laughs> yeah for sure. Well, our second film uh, is, it's not a remake, but it is a sequel um, with 
Tom Cruise uh, returning to the role of Maverick from the classic 1986 film Top Gun for Top Gun Maverick. This was one of the first big blockbusters of the more traditional summer season coming out on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it ha- was delayed a little bit uh, by the pandemic. Um, I believe they shot it actually in 2018. Uh, so they have had it in the can for a while. Didn't know what to expect. I enjoyed uh, the original Top Gun. I think it's iconic uh, for some of its sequences. I wouldn't say I thought it was an incredible film, per se. Uh, I feel completely different about this sequel. This is the rare sequel for me that surpasses the original in every sense. Um, It has nostalgic moments to pay tribute to the 1980s roots, but it goes far above and beyond the action sequences, particularly the dogfighting and flying sequences were just breathtaking. I was fortunate enough to see it on IMAX and it, I just thought it was completely stunning and gripping. It blew me away. Um, I am giving it two thumbs up. So that one got your two thumbs. Okay. That's good. Um, you know, the thing is I hear phenomenal thing after phenomenal thing. And regrettably, I missed the chance to see this in theaters. And so my thoughts on this movie are really more about the original Top Gun, which I think in itself is, is sort of, I want to, I want to say, because this came up before Mission Impossible is the blockbuster to round out and like point Tom Cruise's career in the direction it was going to go. You know, he has other big hits of the time and he's gone all over the map, but I feel like after Top Gun, it's like, you can kind of see where he was going to go. And it's odd because after all of the hype around Top Gun, when I saw it, it, it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of, I was, I was very caught off guard by the fact that there was no actual combat with, with a, outside of the training that they did, uh, you know, and, and I think there's just a lot there that works in, in the characters and the relationships. And then a lot there that's kind of unexpected. And so I can see areas where, you know, if you're the stakes of the movie or you're building up the prowess of these characters, paying that off with something, which I've heard is kind of the the tail end of this movie. That is the way I would one up the original. And that's why I believe this would one up the original, which makes me want to see it a lot because Top Gun is a classic for a reason. Top Gun Maverick has what I think is missing from it by most accounts. Well, and I know you, how big of a fan of Val Kilmer that you are um, along with me. And for anyone that's kind of followed, he's obviously gone through some very tough medical situations. If you have not seen the documentary Val, uh, which is available on Amazon Prime, I encourage you highly to take a look at that. He appears in one like crucial scene with Tom Cruise here, and you can tell how much they love each other. And that just comes out through the scene. And it was incredibly powerful and emotional um, right in the middle of it. I just loved everything that that they put together here. And I think it's been slower actually to rotate onto VOD and to be available at home because of how well it did at the theater. That was kind of a, a weight by uh, Paramount that paid off in spades because it's one of the highest grossing movies of all time now. And it was definitely, it's probably the first movie I've seen in a while that I felt like demanded to be seen on the big screen, which I know is cutting you deep since you, I'm I'm kind of holding out hope for a 
late sort of awards season re-release. Mm-hmm. I'm sure um, they will. Which is hard because I'm an avid collector and I know I'm going to end up with the movie, not watching it for a period of time. And that's going to be odd. <laughs> so, Well, it is finally available. You can purchase it on VOD. I went ahead and uh, bought it and added it to my uh, Voodoo collection a couple of weeks ago because I was pretty excited to see it come out. Um, and actually, that's that's a good thing to note about all four of the summer movies we're looking at are actually all available in some form on VOD. If you don't have a chance to go see them in the theaters, you can pop on uh, and at least have a rental option on Vudu or Redbox or Amazon Prime or any of these kind of sites. But the uh, the next one, your second uh, film of the summer, came out uh, the near the end of July, July 22nd. It just actually dropped uh, to be able to rent at home, and that is Jordan Peele's third nope. feature, the movie Nope. Yes. Um, it's funny, because we are talking about, they are available on VOD, but we're talking about a slew of movies. I, I can't speak much about Vengeance, um, the uh, another one. Um, but there's something about this one, like the Batman, uh, if you're streaming it, uh, the thing was shot in such dark territories that like it's there's a lot of issues. People it's have been a darker, having grittier Batman. Man. Yeah. And then a lot of people are <laughs> having problems with the bit rate crushing the, the atmosphere of it and the picture of it. Nope. It's another one where it's a bizarre thing because I saw this in theaters as soon as possible. And again, didn't see it in IMAX and regret it because it's baked into the story that the image we're looking at is, is an IMAX image. So long story, very brief, just in case someone out there isn't already an avid fan, you got 35 millimeter film, which, which like most movies normally are. And then you got 70 millimeter film, which IMAX is, which is why it's not necessarily about how big the picture is, but that the detail in the picture you're looking at is like so immersive. Like, you know, if this head doesn't get bigger, this head stays and the picture gets bigger around it. And I feel like there's something about the aspect ratios in this. Obviously, here's the thing, because this is my criticism too. And this is why my rating is what my rating is. This is a movie appealing to people who are into movies or movie making. I feel like, the uh, character, and I'm sorry, I never remember this actor's name, but he played Top Dollar in The Crow, um, is playing your your character that sort of, I think, is why people draw such a connection between this and Jaws. You know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the mythical shot, the camera shot. And he has a special camera ready so that he can record this. And there's that in the story. And then there's the whole reflection where people just revealed the insane new technology that's not quite new, but is basically brand new of how they shot most of this movie day for night. Like from behind the scenes all the way to what the characters are talking about in the story, this is all about filmmaking. And it ultimately leads up to him getting this shot, but not so that we see it. Not so there's a payoff, not so the characters have proof or anything like that. It's like, it's that, that character and that story is there for its own sake. And it was fascinating to me. There's so many things in this, in this movie that made me feel like I was missing something and I'm going to get more out of it. Like with us, like with get out on repeat viewings, um, like the, the design when it, the spoiler creature changes shape the this 
boxed layers kind of matches the framing when they're shooting the not just not just through the IMAX camera but filming uh the sitcom with Gordy mm -hmm. there's blocked uh little indicators for how lettering is that like reflects the eye or whatever it is of the creator there's just so much going on but ultimately at its core I think the scene with Gordy represents why this hit me so hard. One specific shot of the whole movie, and it's of a shoe standing up. Okay? It's just it's just bizarre. Why is that happening? How did that happen? And you're super fixated on it. And it's sort of like out of chaos, out of the unexplainable chaos of nature, there's always going to be these things that see, feel supernatural to us just because we don't have the explanation for them. And... That, with all of Jordan Peele's love for movies, is all up on the screen. And it was such a big event, and it felt like such a huge ride, and I loved it. Yeah, the actor you were looking for is Michael Wincott. Yes. He had the best, the best character name, Antlers Holst, which just cracks you up. I, you know, I love the the kind of comedy and the style that, that gets put in here. Um, you know, I appreciated Get Out. I... I liked us. This might be the one of his that I like the best so far. Um, you know, I think it just keeps getting better. I love Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer and their uh, back and forth, you know, that brother sister vibe and just some of the lines uh, and some of the line readings cracked me up. Um, very stylish. Uh, it was a movie that pulled you in that at first you know, in the the, tra the early trailers don't tell you anything, but then as you get further into it, you see what the what the subject matter is, and I won't say it for those that haven't seen it, but I was thinking to myself, am I going to be into this? You've never seen this subject matter approached this way, um, and I, I just thought it ended up being really captivating, um, such a visual storyteller. Uh, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Give it a thumbs up. I agree. One like. thumbs up. Yep. And so uh, that he, and one little shout out, uh, Riz, Riz Ahmed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his character feels oh, like Stephen Yun. Sorry, no, not not Stephen Yun. The guy Brandon, from Fries. Brandon Prea. Brandon Prea. Oh my gosh, not Riz Ahmed. I knew the guy was too young. Ugh. Anyways, um, feel bad when that happens. I love getting the right names of actors. So this character, there's this great behind the scenes story. I'm not going to go into it right now about how his character ended up sort of bleeding into production the same way he does on screen. I feel like in a hundred other movies, you have some character eating Cheetos at a desk, just like, oh, I'm ha going to happen to be there at the end because I noticed something on camera and got curious. Like, I feel like you think of like, 97's Godzilla or like movies like disaster day movies where the scientist comes running up with a stack of papers in the rain like I figured out the thing no his character bleeds so into the story and becomes such a big part of it I absolutely adore that sort of thing I was just talking about the last episode how Shane Black writes in these bizarre like intrusive elements into the story and the characters just have to deal with it. And that's what makes its story sometimes feel more lived in and organic than perfect. And I, I was great. Anyways. 
My second pick uh, was another movie that came out in late July, and it was Vengeance. It actually dropped on July 29th. It is available to rent on VOD. Um, it's probably the one movie out of these four that you wouldn't lose a ton if you watched it at home. Not that it uh, didn't have some cinematic qualities, but it wasn't kind of a big skeptic, uh, scope and spectacle kind of story. Um, it was one that caught me a little bit by surprise. Uh it's from writer B.J. Novak. Uh, and you would recognize him as Ryan, the intern from The Office. Uh, and he is also the star in here. He was the director here. He plays kind of a, a New York writer, um, a guy who is pathologically single. Uh, and he gets a phone call uh, that this girl who had been one of his hookups who lived in a small town in Texas died. And somehow she had told her family that he was her boyfriend. So her family calls and they're like, we're waiting for you to come down here for the funeral. We know you're broken up. And he feels so weird and guilty about it that he decides to go down there. And he ends up getting sucked into uh, the story because her family believes that she died, that she was murdered and that, that the, you know, the police said that she OD'd, but it didn't make sense to them. So they think she was murdered. And so he decides he is going to turn this into a podcast. And he starts out thinking it's going to be a podcast about simple people living in Texas with all their conspiracy theories. But it ends up being so much more. And it ended up being such a cathartic journey for me. Ashton Kutcher uh, gives probably the best performance I've ever seen in his entire career in a supporting role here. Boyd Holbrook um, is in it and does just a masterful job. The humor was on point. This was just the kind of story that pulled me in and had me going. I instantly put it. Uh, it's right now sitting at number three movie of the year for me overall. Top Gun Maverick, I still have it number two. Uh, and I have everything everywhere all at once still as my number one. But these, those are the only three movies this year I've given uh, four and a half stars to. Um, it just... It captivated me. I got caught up. I got choked up. Um, BJ Novak gives a beautiful performance, but it's beautifully written. And the ideas and the stories I just found really captivating. And like I said, Ashton Kutcher, I was blown away by what we got from his character. He, he's in basically two big sequences, and they are probably the two best sequences and the two most thought-provoking sequences of the entire film. So I gave this one two thumbs up. Well, I have my plans for the night. Um, <laughs> that's that's so exciting. That's uh, a movie that I you see some movies and you're like, man, I hope that that's good. I hope that whatever that is is looks as good as it looks now. And I love that sort of thing. I almost forgot Issa Rae plays his podcast producer in New York, and she has some hilarious lines too when they're kind of back and forth and doing dailies. I mean, he basically is shooting a podcast that's a little bit like um, I can't remember what it's called, the one that. Uh, making a murderer or mm -hmm. um, it, it was one of the, this American life podcasts. I listened to it about the, uh, the Baltimore murder um, that they, they don't think he did. I can't remember it. It was so popular right as COVID was, was coming out. Everybody right. needed something to do at home. And it, yeah. ended up, but it reminded me a lot of those kind of, you know, podcasts or even actually the podcast that they're riffing in the Hulu series, only murders in the building. Mm hmm. Ah, love that show. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, 
next time I'll have watched everything that we're planning to talk about. And I think that will give us a consistent rating system. And I think that would be probably helpful to you and to everybody. But, um, you know, I just, I love the idea of just sitting and talking about, you know, like, like, right when you can't go back into the water, we talk about, you know, blockbusters and this kind of thing. I love it. I, I did want to shout out the mask of Zorro and star Wars as two of the big ones. I think the mask of Zorro still might be, might be one of my favorite summer blockbuster movies of all time. Um, and just, yeah, I just really like that we kind of get to dig into this and for what it is and everything everywhere all at once. I actually have to agree. I, I, I debated again because it was like earlier in the year. It wasn't quite past Memorial Day or anything. And I just didn't know whether I wanted to like do that one and whatnot. But that one hit emotionally too there was mm -hmm. there was a surprising amount to enjoy from this summer from places that were not expected except for jordan peele i think was kind of expected um yeah and there's there's some movie that came out this weekend um that i dearly loved when i saw it at the sundance film festival uh in january it's called honk for jesus save your school mm -hmm. it is both out in theaters and on peacock they slightly recut it from the sundance version i watched it again it still hits. It might hit even harder with some of the emotional scenes. Sterling K. Brown, Regina Hall, incredible that. Um, so my top five currently for the year is Everything Everywhere All at Once, Top Gun, Maverick, Vengeance, Haunt for Jesus, and The Batman. Wow. Um, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about why they've edited Haunt for Jesus, uh, Viewers, you can go to the musiccitydrivein.com and watch an interview that uh, Ricky Valero did with the editors and kind of ex like explains what's going on there. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, yeah. Kind of now, I always in my brain when I hear two cuts, I'm like, I want to watch them both. Like so, um, and the, it is subtle, subtle differences. But I actually, Ricky is the reason that I went and found Honk for Jesus at Sundance because mm -hmm. I the first wave. Um, I wasn't in on the first wave, but I was watching what people were reacting to and went and picked up movies. And he told me as soon as he saw it, he's like, you're going to love it. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm doing it. So he's learning you. He's, he knows you. Um, okay. Well, that's going to be a wrap for our best of summer here on Labor Day weekend. But we are entering the spooky season. And we will be back twice in October, including the first weekend of October when we're going to look at the horror movie Smile, as well as a little bit of Hocus Pocus as the sequel drops that same day. So September 30th, if you're waiting for Halloween, you get Smile in theaters, you get Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney+. And we will be back with those. Plus, uh, each of us will pick a spooky season film that we enjoyed from the past. And then we would not let you down. Uh, just before Halloween, we will actually be devoting an entire episode to Halloween. As you may not, as you may know, Halloween ends drops mid-October. It is definitively going to be the last installment of Halloween until they decide to make it all over again in a couple of years. Yes. <laughs> Thank but, you guys so much for checking out, you know, this week at the movies. Yes, and until then, you'll find us at the movies.